Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. I already heard some amens. Okay, right on. We're starting good this morning. Well, my name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and I am so excited to share with you this morning, um, as you can tell what our topic is going to be today, is how to be a godly man. Uh, as that uh, office video showed that we, uh, that we um, showed during the announcements, we're going to be doing life groups here soon, and this is actually one of the life groups that we do, and so uh, today and then in a couple weeks from now, what I'm going to be doing is promoting some of the classes, some of the life groups that we have, just to show you a little little bit more about what they're about and, and what we go through. And so today, like I said, we're going to be going through Be a Godly Man, and then a few weeks, we're going to talk about marriages. Um, there is a ton of marriage crisis also in this country, not just a, a manhood crisis, but there's a marriage crisis. And so some of the things we want to go through as a church is to equip our people and to make sure that we're ready for whatever the, uh, whatever the world's going to throw at us. Now, as we're going through what it means to be a godly man... I want to preface, ladies, do not be elbowing your man, <laughs> saying, hey, listen to this. Did you catch that part, right? As, as much as I wish we were more vocal in this church, this is the one time I don't want you to shout, amen, if you're a lady, okay? If you're a man, you got a free pass today. But gals, just encourage your man to, to walk these paths. Don't put him down. Don't condemn him. But encourage him to walk in these ways. All right, so as way of introduction, here we go. If you got your Bibles, you grab those things. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, the words are going to be up on the screen for you, uh, or you can follow along in the YouVersion app. Um, if you're watching online this morning, uh, the words are actually going to be on the bottom of your screen as well, so you'll be able to follow along with us here this morning. All right, so here we go. 1 Corinthians 16. 13 through 14 says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Here we go. Act like men, be strong and let all that you do be done in love. So I bet from that you can see what we're going to talk about is how do we act like men, right? And this, this word is pretty fascinating in the Greek. This is the only time we see this word in the Bible. It's the word andridzomai. You want to try that one? Okay, you guys get extra credit, and some of you, some of you don't. That's okay. But <laughs> this, this word, andridzomai, is the only time we see this in Scripture. And what it means, it means to make a man of or to make brave. And maybe that's what some of your translations say this morning, to be brave or to make brave. So really, this isn't just for men. It's talking to everybody. But these are great foundations for what a godly man is. And so now we, we've kind of got the Greek definition, but we still need to find something out. 
we need to find out what is a man. What is a man? Because let's be honest right now, the world has no idea what a man is. Right? The world tries to tell us that men and women are just basically the same, right? Despite some minor plumbing differences, you guys are pretty much just the same. Right? Or that men, we need to apologize for the way God designed us, for being men. Or they're saying that somehow men are just greater and superior to women. And none of that is true. Right? The world is just so confused right now about which bathroom to use, let alone tell us what a man is. So we don't want to take their definition. You know, I have, a, I have a little girl and I have a little boy, and uh, I can tell you they are extremely different, right? I have a son who right now, he, he just walks around going, Hulk, smash, and he's sitting here doing that, and I love every bit of it. And then my daughter, she's like, Daddy, would you help me find my wand and my tiara to go with my princess dress? And absolutely, you got it. You know, she's my princess, and he's my warrior. If a pine cone falls out of a tree, my son jumps on it like, grenade, and he covers it up. And then my daughter finds another pine cone. She tries to make them friends. And, and it's, uh, they are just so different than one another. You know, my son has a grilled cheese. He's sitting there chewing that thing into the style of a Glock. And he's trying to shoot cheese at me. And my daughter's like, no, you cut it nicely. You don't let it touch anything else. This is how it goes. Men and women, even at that age, are not the same. They are so different. But that brings us back to the question, what is a man? Well, I'd like to say that I'm a man, right? I love the mountains. I love fishing and camping. I love college football and hockey. I love to grill. I love a medium rare steak with taters on the side, right? I got a beard and I got more guns than I got fingers. None on me right now, maybe. <laughs> but you know what? None of that stuff that I just labeled makes me a man. Not one bit of it makes me a lamb because a man, because truth be told, you could actually be a latte sipping, scarf wearing, vegan, sitting at your favorite hipster coffee shop and be more than a man than the guy that I just talked about. So the real question here is not what does the world think or define as a man? The real question here is what is a godly man? Right? What is a godly man? Well, first of all, like it says here, godly men are watchful. So if you're taking notes, go to that part. Godly men are watchful. That's number one. What are we watchful for? I'll tell you some of the things I'm watchful for. Right? If, if one of my favorite teams is playing and, and I'm watching and I see this guy coming around the corner getting ready to sack my quarterback and I'm sitting here yelling at the TV because, I mean, he can hear me, obviously, right? So I'm going to yell at the television. And so he can hear me and I'm saying, hey, watch out, there's a guy coming by you. And for some reason, he never listens to me. He gets smoked every time. I don't get it. Or when I'm hunting with a friend, I try to help them spot like a bull elk or, or a big buck or something. I say, okay, he's about 200 yards out, but you need to watch out because there's cows and calves coming through this way. Or if you're on a rancher's land, you see cows coming in, don't, don't shoot those cows. That's the wrong kind of cow. Don't shoot that one. That rancher shows no mercy, right? And, and those are good ways to be watchful, but, but in a sense, those are... Good ways. Like I said, we're, we're paying attention to details. We're seeing what's coming up next. You're being prepared for what's coming. But God didn't write that in here for us to just apply it to watching football or to watching hunting or to going hunting. Excuse me. He used it in so much more of a, of a, a giant sense that we may not see here. 
He's talking about what is taking our focus off of Jesus, right? He's talking about the temptations that tend to draw us away from our focus on Christ. If you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8. It says these words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. There it is. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This section deals with three main points that us as men, and really all of us, need to let go of. What it really talks about here is pride, worry, and laziness, right? And then after those portions, it talks about how Satan is a roaring lion because in this life, I don't know if you knew this, but we have an enemy who desires to tear down everything that God intends to flourish, right? Our adversary, the devil, he is a ravenous lion and he is ready to attack. But here's the good news. He was never any match for the gospel. He was never any match for the finished work on the cross because through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that enemy has been defeated. That lion has been defanged, in a sense, right at the cross. So that is the reality that we are to commit our lives to in faithfulness to God. And I can tell you, wherever God has placed you, he has called you men to be watchful. So look out for that enemy who's coming. Lay down that pride, right? Don't worry, cast all your anxieties on him. And then defend those that you love from Satan's attacks and cultivate a humble heart that depends upon Jesus Christ every step of the way. All right, so number one, a godly men are watchful. Number two is this, godly men stand firm. Godly men stand firm. Okay, to look at what it means to stand firm, let's flip to Ephesians 6, and we're going to start in verse 10. This is talking about the armor of God here, just to give you a little context. All right, and then it's written here, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done it all, to stand firm. Stand, there it is again, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Right, so the armor and the weapons of God that he's describing here, they're not intended for us to attack one another because let's admit it, that happens often, doesn't it? 
They're not meant to attack one another because our battle, like it said, is not against one another. It's not against flesh and blood, but we are to stand firm against those spiritual forces of our enemies. You know, I don't know about you, but for a long time, I used to downplay the spiritual side of a lot of stuff. I used to say, ah, no, that's just Hollywood or that stuff doesn't happen. You know, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think, that none of that is going on. However, he told us right there, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the rulers and the evil principalities of this world and in the present darkness. So if you think like that, if you think like I used to, then it's time to suit up with that armor of God that he's given us. And what's interesting to me is the, just those few verses right there, that command to stand appeared three different times there which is, this is just the preface then, the section now detailing the armor that God gives us. So in other words, the armor of God and nothing else is what will provide us with the strength and the ability to stand firm against that true adversary that we've been talking about. And every piece of the armor of God is extremely critical. It's crucial. We need it. Because if we neglect any part of it, the entire body is going to suffer. You know, apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot stand firm. Again, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the evil spiritual powers of this world. And we need spiritual weapons and we need spiritual armor to defend ourselves and protect ourselves from it. And only God can provide that armor. The good news is that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection has disarmed the enemy and he's already won the war. So in Christ, we are no longer fighting for victory, but instead we fight from it in the strength of God. God's already won. We're just standing firm in what he's already accomplished. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you using the strength that God has given you through his spirit? Are you using that strength you know, maybe you've got some blind spots in your walk with Christ that you just, you can't see. You don't know what's going on. That's where your brothers and your sisters inside of your life group really come alongside of you. They're not there to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we're here to help you and say, hey, this might be something you need to address. Scripture talks about this. How can we walk beside each other and help each other out of this situation? And through that, Ask God that he would use what you have learned to prepare you for what he has called you to stand firm with in this life. So that's what we got on strength. Number three is this. Godly men are strong. So we had godly men are watchful, godly men stand firm, and now godly men are strong. You guys ever seen, uh, I'm sure you have, but you've seen those bodybuilders? You've seen those big old bodybuilders, those folks who are just shredded to the bone and it looks like they took a shower in, in that bronzer stuff. Like they look like they come out as an Oscar award. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's part of it, I guess. You know, maybe they got sprayed in the tanning booth too much. Uh, I'm about to make a Friends reference. If there's any Friends in here, there's, a, there's an episode where uh, Ross gets stuck in the booth and he keeps getting sprayed one side the whole time and he comes out just looking bronze on one end and he's whiter than me on the backside. It's hilarious. But that's usually what I think of. But I also think of the governor, right? Arnold himself. I always got to think of Arnold when I think about bodybuilders. 
But here's my question. Do you think he got that huge overnight? Absolutely not. No, it would have taken extensive training. It would have taken him supplements, a strict diet, and I'm sure more. Right? Bodybuilding takes an incredible amount of long-term discipline and training. It is not something that just happens, right? It requires effort. And the same thing is true when we get our strength from Jesus Christ, right? Not our own strength, but strength from him. We're not just going to naturally drift towards strength in Christ. We're naturally going to drift to our own selfish strength and our own flesh. But when God fills us with the spirit, we need to rely on him and his strength above our own. To be strong like God commands us to be, we must know what true strength is and then devote ourselves to pursuing it. And then this study that I'm talking about, it's be a godly man that we're going to go through during our life group session, which, men, I encourage you to sign up for it. It's, it's amazing. I've been through it, and it's wonderful. But the leader said that a strong man is Sabbath. He's persevering. He's humble. And he is a serving man. What's fascinating to me is look at the first thing on that list. Right? A strong man is Sabbath. He takes Sabbath rest. And we've seen how important Sabbath rest is because, I mean, it made God's top ten, right? Heck, it's even in the top five. It's number four on his list of commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, we just wrapped up that whole series on the Ten Commandments, and we discussed the Sabbath rest and what it actually means and what God intended it for. And the fourth commandment here, it's really just this, this hinge commandment, if you would, because commandments one through three, they're really talking about our vertical relationship. It's between God and man. And then you have your hinge commandment, then you go commandments five through ten, and that's all about our vertical relationships with one another. And then how God helps us have fellowship with him and one another. The Sabbath commandment is so significant today still. Because it addresses both the vertical and the horizontal relationships that we have. From an individual standpoint, it was a command for the Israelites to step away from their labors and to rest in the sufficiency of God's provision. They were trusting God to provide for them. But it also uh, dictated the way that they dealt with one another. Because by stepping aside from their work for a day, they displayed with their lives that their ultimate dependence was on God and not their own strength or their jobs or their bank accounts, but it's on God alone. And as a community, they were to rest and reflect upon God's faithfulness to his people to rejuvenate their souls. Right? They needed to rest and get rejuvenation from the Lord alone. And while we no, we no longer live under those ceremonial aspects of the law, but it's important still to recognize the value of that kind of discipline of taking Sabbath rest. Because Sabbath is so much more than just physical rejuvenation alone. Right? It's an act of dependence upon our God. By stepping away intentionally from the doing of life, then right there we can acknowledge that God is the one who is truly in control of our lives and not us. We rest and we depend upon that finished work of Jesus Christ alone.
So that shows us that we need to persevere, be humbled, and be servants after the rest. That was the other topics on, um, on his list there. Persevering because as followers of Jesus, guess what? We're going to experience rejection and persecution for following him. Where's the yay? Right? Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we go through various trials, not if, right? I have a hard time with that. Easier said than done. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. But suffering accompanies our faith in Jesus Christ, which is why we must be prepared to persevere in all things. Perseverance is a crucial part of following Jesus. But here's the beautiful part is we are not left alone in those persecutions and in those difficulties that we face. Enter the Holy Spirit to give us that strength to carry us through those situations and those difficult times. But it is that suffering that also teaches us humility. Isn't that fascinating? It reveals to us our need for relationships with one another, plug life group, as well as our need to depend upon God. You know, Jesus himself shows us what true humility looks like in Matthew chapter 20. He says these words, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Because despite being God in the flesh, the same God who spoke the universe into existence and spoke our very lives into existence, he says himself that he came to this world to serve and not be served. So a man is to be a servant as well. So in this context, Jesus says this to his disciples as a way of encouraging them to follow his example, which is not one pursuing this worldly greatness or this worldly manhood that we continue to see, but it's instead stooping down to serve those in his midst, the ones who are broken and hurt. You know, it's often said that our proximity to Jesus determines our greatness. It's not the level of our production. You know, our proximity to Jesus determines greatness. It's not our production. Today, we have an opportunity, men, to model that for others in all that we say and do, especially in how we serve one another, how you serve your families, how you serve your friends, how you're walking, men, you're walking your wives and your kids through the scriptures Right, You're living out, not just talking about it, but you're living out where God has called us to be. Because to be a strong man is to truly be a surrendered man. To be a strong man is to be surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because men, God did not give us strength to spend on ourselves. But he gave us strength so that we could serve others. He has placed people in your life and in my life who need our serving presence, right? Like we said, your family, your friends, your church, people that you might see on the road who need a helping hand, somebody that God lays upon your heart to go and help and serve them. Rest, perseverance, humility. These are essential pieces of godly service and they are offered to us 
through the life of Jesus Christ. And so this week, fellas, take some time to evaluate your life. Ask yourself, am I humble? Do I persevere? And man, I think we can all say amen to this. And are you in need of some rest? I think we all do. Right? These questions will help you develop an accurate picture of yourself and then provide you with an opportunity to walk in the fresh joy that only Jesus Christ can provide. Well, let's come to our fourth and final point this morning about what it means to be a godly man. And it would be this. Godly men, let it all be done in love. Now, we live in a world today that has no idea what godly love is. It is a confusing topic in our culture today of what love actually is. And in many ways, men now feel uncomfortable with the idea of showing even a little bit of affection towards others because, man, that's just such a girly thing to do, right? It's not very manly, right? It sounds like a lot of, oh, let's just hold hands and share our feelings and we can sing kumbaya with each other. That sounds wonderful. Said no man ever. Right? There's a certain degree to which our culture has made us become uncomfortable with showing that kind of affection. But to be honest, the Western American church has not done a good job about letting men be men either. That's why we have so many more women amongst the church today than men. And it's not bad to have women, I'm not saying that. But men are the ones who are called to step up. And that's where we need to be, is right here. You know, men, for so long, I think they've been told just to, okay, well, we're going to go to church, but I want you to sit down. I want you to be nice. Just be quiet. Don't make any of those stupid jokes that you talk about. Pretty much what I want you to do is just I want you to act like a woman when you come to church, okay? Would you just do that for me? Play nice. But I'm telling you, we've done it all wrong because that's not what God has called us to do, right? If God created us to be men, then guess what? It is okay to act like a man, all of this confusion really just comes from a misunderstanding about the biblical definition of love. Because far more than a feeling, love is an action that is required of all of those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Because what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor, love others as yourselves. The law and the prophets hang upon those two. Fascinating. So as followers of Jesus Christ, what is our definition? It's this. It's your joy in the Lord expressed towards others at great expense to yourself. Right? Because Jesus didn't spare any expense showing his love to us. He spared no expense. 1 Corinthians 13 as, as most of us know, it's the, the well-known chapter of love, right? It explains to us what godly love is. And so here's the context of what's going on. Paul, uh, in chapter 12, he was telling people about these, these spiritual gifts. There are amazing things going on here. He's saying, hey, desire these gifts, right? Desire the speaking in tongues and the healings and the prophecies. But then at the end of chapter 12, he says something even more mind-blowing. He says, even though those things are awesome... I'm going to show you something way better. I'm going to show you something even greater than this, a better way, he says. And then he begins to talk about love being a better way than any of those. And that's where he kicks into chapter 13. It says this, 
This is Paul talking here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, that's a lot of faith. But you don't have love? It's nothing. It's nothing at all. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned again, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And then here's the part that we've all heard. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So, men, as I'm talking to you today, how did you do on that list of love? Does that list describe how well you're loving your family, your friends, your church, your God? How do those that are closest to you, how do you think they would answer those same questions about you? Now, I don't know about you, but I I look at a list like that and I see myself coming up pretty short. I can see myself coming up short because even the best of the best in this world would read that list and fail. Because none of us on this side of heaven are going to love perfectly. We're just not. We're stuck in this flesh. We are all a work in progress. And by God's grace alone, he promises us that he will finish that good work in us and bring it to a completion. But until then, we have the responsibility to continue to grow and to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and be transformed into his image. So I want you to look at these again. Are you patient and kind? Is that your love when things are going tough in your life? Are you patient with those? Are you kind to those that maybe you're not patient with? Are you envious or boastful? Do you know that we experience envy when we lack commitment with who, or I'm sorry, contentment with who God has created us to be and what he has given us? And the boasting is what happens when we make everything about me. Maybe you're arrogant and rude in your love. Arrogance is thinking that you're better than someone else. Rudeness is the way that you treat someone when you think you're better than them. Right? Is love, it does not insist on its own way. So is love on your terms? Is it all about how you want to love? Or are you looking at what God says how to do it and following his description? And if it's not, do you become really irritated and resentful towards that other person because they're not loving your way in the way you want them to? Guess what? It's not on them at that point. It's on you because we know what God has said. You know, we did our Father-Son's Day uh, a couple weeks ago up at Tyhack, and I asked uh, John, who was singing uh, today, he's our, he's our men's deacon, I asked John, I said, what, what is the big intention for today besides just spending some quality time with other dads, with some sons, but then some one-on-one time with our sons? And he said this, and I thought it was really profound. He said, we need to let ourselves be inconvenienced for our children. 
And I really like that. Because I can't tell you how many trips I've taken with my family to where if we're not on the road at a certain time and the tank ain't filled and this ain't what's going on, then I've already got this bad attitude 30 seconds into the trip because we did not leave at 8.30 on the dot. You know, when things are going my way in a sense, then I just act like a giant baby and I sit in silence over the stupid things and just shut down. But instead of my love being patient and kind and not insisting upon my own way, what I need to do is realize, hey, guess what? I'm getting to spend time with my family right now. I'm getting some intentional time with my son. And through this, I can teach him how to be patient and kind and gentle and not boastful in his love. You know, we get to enjoy some time together regardless of what my watch says. So my question is, are you now rejoicing in the truth with your family, friends, neighbors, and your workplace? Because remember, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. And then Paul wraps up this little portion with this. He said, love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things but not because of our abilities, right? If we could do it with our own abilities, Paul wouldn't even have to write any of that stuff. We already got it figured out. Thanks, Paul. No, obviously we have to know this because that is who God is calling us to be. And that is how God is calling us to love. You know, 1 John four nineteen says it the best way that we could put it. We love because he loved us first through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, becoming a man requires giving up those childish ways that Scripture talks about. You know, when we do not love in a godly way that he's called us to do, then we fail to act like men, and we fail to be who he has created us to be. The best description, in, in my own opinion, that we could ever find about how God truly loves us is in a very familiar verse. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are few truths about God that are more mind-blowing than this scripture. Because God extended his love to us through Christ. Right? Right? Not when we were perfect or when we had it all together or when we actually deserved that love or when we figured out how to love one another properly. No, he doesn't make you clean up and then come to him. He says, come to me and then we'll clean up. That's how God works. It was none of that. God extended his love to us through Christ while we were still sinners. He did not demand, again, that we clean up our act and then come to him. Right? Instead, he moved towards us in love. And that's that love that we've been talking about that's going to change everything. That's what gives us a desire to change as well. So to be a godly man requires loving others the way that God has loved us in Christ. And the only way that we can do that is by rooting ourselves in the love of God. And that is the only way that we can properly love is by rooting yourself in Jesus Christ. Love is far more than these mushy feelings that Hollywood portrays, right? This is an act of will that requires, again, a great amount of sacrifice. But if God sacrificed his son to display his love for us, 
And then he calls us to love others by giving up ourselves in service to them. Man, that's a pretty small price to pay for everything that he's done for us. That is a small request of his. So today, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we get to partake in communion, remembering all of this stuff that God has done. As we talk about him loving us, as we talk about him dying on the cross for us, what we're going to do today together in communion is remember everything that he has done. If you don't have a communion cup or with you, would you raise your hand? Pastor Grant's in the back, and uh, he would love to, uh, to bring you some of those. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, if you need one, please do that. This is the, like I said, this is the ultimate reminder and about the sacrifice that we had just talked about that Jesus gave us. All right, so if you would with me, go ahead and tear back the, the first layer and it will reveal the, the bread that looks like it's older than Jesus himself. You like the bread? There's more in the back for you. <laughs> as often as you do it, right? In remembrance. We're told in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, as we partake in this together, remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross, and you may partake. Now, if you will, pull back the, the other layer to reflect the juice. The word of the Lord says this, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we remember the blood of Jesus Christ being sacrificed on the cross because he loved us while we were still sinners, you may partake. So today, everybody but men, I'm talking to you. Think about where God has placed you in your family, in your friendships, the neighborhood that you're in, the workplace, and so on. Be diligent in your life to find out where those childish ways that remain in our lives are and then surrender them to God. Like Pastor Joby said in that video at the beginning, we don't want to just be boys who can shave, right? We want to be men who God has called us to be to lead our families. God is so kind, gracious, and willing to mold you and to mold me and to mold us into the men that he has called us to be. That's godly men, not worldly men, but godly men.
So last charge, be watchful, men. Stand firm in your faith, men. Be strong in Jesus Christ, men. And let all that you do, everything that we do, let it be done out of true biblical love. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing uh, Jesus Paid It All Together this morning. God, we thank you so much for today. And we thank you that you have called us to be godly men. Not worldly men, but godly men. And Lord, often I know that we, and myself included, we get distracted by the ways of the world. God, we get distracted by what the world might call men, and we think that's what we need to follow, but we know that's not true. So Father, today as we remember the sacrifice that you gave us by dying on the cross for us and then rising again to prove that you are the Son of God, I pray that we would continue to remember that sacrifice and then step up to be the men that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that as we talked about this today, that you would put it on the hearts of men to join a life group and to see what it means to be with other men and to act like godly men so that we can all properly lead our families the way that you called us to be, so that we can be staples in our church, Lord, so that can, we can be members of our community by spreading your truth and your grace. Father, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for your word. And we just thank you for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.